The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Smith Micro Software, makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go, for Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered, online at ask.metafilter.com. Hey, I'm Scott from Seattle. I'm Holly from Chicago. Hey, I'm Josh Stevenson from Moscow, Idaho. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedian, writer, and actress Kristen Schaal. Um, she's probably best known for her role as Mel, the uh, psychotically obsessed fan on Flight of the Concords. She's also a stand-up comedian, a contributor to The Daily Show. She's acted in numerous films and television programs, uh, recently Toy Story 3 and uh, Dinner for Schmucks. And with her uh, sweetheart, Rich Blomqvist, uh, who is a writer for The Daily Show. She is the author of the new book, The Sexy Book of Sexy Sex. Um, he, here she is in a clip from a recent stand-up comedy performance. New York City, huh, guys? I love it. I love this city. I think if you live in this city of dreams, it is impossible to have a bad day here. I really think that. I do. Even if, let's just say that something goes awry in your day, and you're, like, riding your bike or something, and then someone hits you with their car (laughs) or whatever, you know? At least you can lay out and enjoy those bright lights while you wait for the ambulance. (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) Am I right, New York City? Am I? Am I? Am I right? Am I right, sir? Because I hit a guy on his bike today. And I, I just kept driving. Kristen Shaw, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Thanks for having me, Jesse Thorne. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you, Kristen. It's a pleasure to have you. I think the listeners should know that I am seated in a chair that your great uncle made. That's true, Uncle the- Phil. That's the craftsmanship here, the, the craftsmanship. Well, we, yeah. we were worried. We really believe in, in, the, in Americana craft, handmade things. Uh, we're basically sort of like, uh, sort of like Freeman Sporting Club. Uh, Sounds like old America to me. <laughs> Hello. Hi. I just got burned by Kristen Shaw <laughs> from Flight of the Concords. Um, Kristen, you grew, you grew up in uh, Colorado and uh, on a on a farm. I got the impression it's sort of the kind of semi-working kind of farm, the kind of farm that has animals, but that's not how people are making their living. That's true. Yeah, I even talked to my dad about it. He said it was. It turned out to be more of a hobby <laughs> farm for him because he worked as a. He still works as a carpenter. And that's how that's what paid the bills. And then the cows, you know, would be extra money to like go into college tuition and stuff. And did what kind of relationship did you have with these uh, with these farm animals that were sort of in between livelihood and uh, family pets? 
Yeah, it was an it was an interesting dynamic. Like I had two sheep um, or babies that I raised as babies, and I would bottle feed them, and they were so adorable. And then they grew up. Are you telling me that you baby fed bottle fed baby sheep? Yeah, two of them, Laverne and Shirley, (laughs) (laughs) because I was like really creative. And so I was like, there, that's your names. And uh, they're they're so cute as babies, like all animals. But something about sheep, they get big and, and they're they're like, Rah! like that's how they sound. And they're constantly yelling. And um, I, I, I just sort of hated them. <laughs> I ended up hating a lot of the animals. I have lots of crazy memories. One of them is my dog, Teddy, would love to play with the chickens. And he would... Uh, pick up the chickens and he'd throw them in the air just for fun but the chickens couldn't handle it and their necks would break and they would they would be killed instantly (laughs) and so he kept doing it and my dad had to teach teddy a lesson so he took one of the the newly uh deceased chickens and tied it around my dog's neck with wire and just let it decompose around my dog's neck for like three days and I was in kindergarten at the time, and I just remember getting off the bus, and Teddy would run up so excited to see me and, like, jump up to, like, my face, and this, like, decomposing chicken would just slap me <laughs> over and over in the face. It was horrifying. That does not even sound like a real thing. Yeah, well, no, it is. It actually taught Teddy a lesson, and he never bothered a chicken again after that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm traumatized just hearing you say that. I know. And that was sort of my childhood. <laughs> that, was, that sort of sums it up. <laughs> was, was, there some, was there some point in your, um, in your childhood or your adolescence where you got to a point where you felt like you could be your own person outside of decomposing chickens tied to your pet and that kind of thing? I think it was when I saw Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I want to go there. <laughs> and, I, and then I, I slowly started, started to, um, yeah, I, I wanted to make my way and do theater and movies and stuff. I, sometimes I would, um, I remember early memories of like, like kind of like looking in my mirror in the bedroom, putting on a ton of makeup and like dimming the lights and just wondering, is this, is this movie okay? <laughs> like, is this look okay for movies? But only if I like held my face a certain way. <laughs> I'm like, there it is. That's your movie star look. You're going to make it. But I had doubts. <laughs> um, I had the chance to visit uh, Pixar like six or nine months ago, something like that. And I had lunch with uh, Lee Unkrich, who directed Toy Story 3. And uh, Lee is a big comedy fan. And um, he said to me, well, have you ever had Kristen Schaal on your show? And I said, no, you know, we've, we've always wanted to have a you know, good, good reason to have her on. And it just hasn't worked out or whatever. And, uh, and then I said to him, uh, hey, you know about Kristen Schaal. Do you know about this thing, Kristen Schaal is a horse? And he was, and he was like, Oh, yeah, I, I, I know about Kristen Schaal as a horse. <laughs> Everyone here knows about Kristen Schaal as a horse. <laughs> and um, I, I want to play a, a little bit of Kristen Schaal as a horse. This is uh, a sketch that you did with your uh, frequent comedy c- collaborator, Kurt Braunholler. Uh, this is you performing it on national television in Australia. Yeah. Hello, Melbourne! 
Wow. We are so excited to show. We haven't been this excited since we did our own show back in the 70s in America. Yeah, it's called Uncle Ben's Farmyard Courthouse. It was a children's show. Uh, it explained the American judicial system to children ages three to eight using a courthouse made completely of animals. Yeah. I think it failed because none of the animals could talk. Yeah. Yeah, but we had fun. Yeah, we had a yeah, great time. Yeah, we got to write a lot of sketches. Yeah. And we're going to be doing one for you this evening. This is actually a sketch from our show in the 70s called Uncle Ben's Farmyard Courthouse. You ready? I am. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. One, two. One, two, three. Oh, Kristen Shaw is a horse. Kristen Shaw is a horse. Well, look at her dance like a look at her go like a look at her dance like a horse. Oh, Kristen Shaw is a horse. Kristen Shaw is a horse. Well, look at her dance like a look at her go like a look at her dance like a horse. Oh, Kristen Shaw is a horse. So maybe you could describe what's happening as this on the stage as this builds in intensity. Okay, yeah. So I'm dancing um, back and forth on the stage like a pendulum, and um, Kurt is just he keeps going. And I had to give a lot of all the credit to Kurt because dancing's tough, but he is like singing his heart out and <laughs> clapping like his hands are almost bleeding at the end of, when we do this sketch. And he he has he holds the reins on us. He has complete control. It goes forever. Like we actually did it in Australia one night. We were drunk, but I think we did it for ten minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> at first, it's funny because it's just like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. Then it's absolutely not funny. It's annoying <laughs> and uncomfortable. And the fact that it's still going in that state, it's funny again. Um, and uh, I, I, I feel like we're justified to cut immediately now to the grand finale. So the amazing thing to me about having brought this thing up to uh, uh, to Lee Unkrich at Pixar was not uh, was not the thing in and of itself, although that is certainly amazing. It was the idea that someone works in a place uh, where everyone has seen this and loves it. <laughs> Um, it, when you when you went in to record Toy Story three, it must have been a neat thing to get to go go somewhere where you can do something that weird. And these people who make something for basically everyone in America all really like it and get it. Yeah, it. W I mean, that was a magical experience because it did seem like we were we sort of shared the same sensibilities at Pixar. It, like instant friendship. It was easy. It was easy to be Lee's friend and everybody that works there. Um, we all were all sort of on the same page about what's kooky and funny. Which, I'm honored. I'm honored that they think my stuff is funny. I, I, I think they're brilliant. The Sound of Young America returns triumphantly to New York City on October 22nd at the Jerome L. Green Performance Space at WNYC. Join me, Jesse Thorne, my guests, including the brilliant Amy Sedaris and more, for a night of fun and laughter and good times and, I don't know, Maybe some intellectual stimulation. We'll see. 
You can find more information about the show by visiting MaximumFun.org and clicking on our Live in New York City link in the right-hand bar. The Sound of Young America is proud to be a returning sponsor of the Seattle Sketch Fest in 2010. It's Seattle's premier comedy festival. It's happening October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District. You know, when Sketchfest Seattle got started in 1999, it was the first sketch comedy festival in the country, and it's been operating continuously ever since. I've performed sketch comedy there and recorded The Sound of Young America there, and my experiences were absolutely wonderful. You'll see some of the best sketch comedy groups in the country all converging on Seattle for a festival that really is a blast. If you're a comedy fan in Seattle and you want to check it out, visit them online at sketchfest.org. That's Sketchfest Seattle 2010, October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District online at sketchfest.org. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedian Kristen Shaw. She's probably best known for her work as the obsessed fan on Flight of the Concords. With her sweetheart, Rich Blumkvist, she's the author of The Sexy Book of Sexy Sex. Um, you're probably best known for your role in Flight of the Concords, which was um, uh, an HBO series that uh, ran two series on HBO before coming to its uh, coming to its conclusion. I guess you would say it wasn't quite canceled; it was done. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, you played this character who is an, an obsessive fan of the Flight of the Concords, and it's it's sort of the it's, it's in a funny way like some of the the most pathos that's in the program comes from your character. Let's hear let's hear a little clip from the show. Oh, hey guys. Hey, Ma. Hey, Ma. hey whoa. It's crazy meeting you here, huh? Well, outside our house. <laughs> yeah, Brett. You are so funny. I love your sense of humor. What are you doing down, Mr. Lee's stairwell? Jogging. Hey, where were you guys on Tuesday? I went to your gig. I was at the aquarium for hours, just waiting. They wouldn't let me stay after 1 a.m., but, um... Well, what time did you guys play? It was cancelled. Oh, that sucks. Well, the fish were beautiful. They were breeding. It's mating season, and I saw fish make love. I don't think we want to hear that. Oh, it's really interesting. Actually, you know, quite a few species of fish require two or more sexual partners. Where's it going now, Mel? Where? Um, home. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you just just came from home. Yeah, we we're just popping out for a second, and then um, that's all we were gonna do—just get some air. Mm. Oh, uh, we always have such a fun time when we're hanging out together. <laughs> what What do you like about playing that character, who really takes it to another level consistently throughout the program? <laughs> Um, well, the best part about it, definitely they gave me tons of gifts in the writing, like having a husband, um, sort of to anchor her down, even though she's like, you knew that she would only go so far. And that was the best part is that I could be as big as I wanted because Mo would never actually, um, take it to a, a, a sincerely gross place. You know what I mean? Like she wouldn't, I feel like if there was an, in my mind, if there was a, a place where 
they were like, okay, Mel, let's go. Let's, let's, uh, let's sleep with each other. I think Mel would be like, no, no, <laughs> you know, like I'm married. <laughs> like, I think, I don't know. I just sort of, I sort of liked that there was some parameters on how crazy she could get. And, you know, it was my first time playing a role that reoccurred, uh, you know, so I could sort of really live in her, I know it's so actorly, but I got to like be this character for, you know, um, a good period of time and and then you know discover more stuff about her 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 passion for them is is sort of like david cassidy or like justin bieber e who <laughs> transposed into a grown-up yeah <laughs> well i'm but there are women like that for sure i mean i i did meet them <laughs> <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the daily show um in fact before before we do let's let's hear a segment you did just recently um this is you talking about about Sarah Palin as the new face of feminism um, and her new stance as the queen of the grizzly moms. <laughs> grizzly bear mama, mom. grizzlies, mama grizzlies. Mama yeah. grizzlies, sorry. Uh, 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 mama, mama grizzlies. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Governor Palin's political strategy is to release a, a pack of, for lack of a better word, killing machines uh, into the legislative process. <laughs> machines no no mama grizzlies are protecting machines mama grizzly in a political sense is someone who is watching what is going on that is adversely affecting our cubs our children the future of america it's all about stopping obama pelosi and reed and what they are doing to our country see that right there the, the notion that somehow protecting children uh, is equated with stopping Democrats. It, it just, I mean, don't don't somehow liberal women care about their children as well? <laughs> no way, John. <laughs> Liberals aren't bears. If anything, they're like gerbils. They'll eat their young if their welfare check is late. <laughs> the, the, so the, the suggestion is is all bears are conservative then? Yeah, just about. I mean. The only ones that typically don't vote Republican are the Bernstein Bears. <laughs> because they're Jews. So how did you how did you end up getting this uh, Daily Show gig? You've been you've been a contributor to the Daily Show um, uh, periodically for a couple of years now. Yeah, I. Um, it was during the elections. Uh, Hillary Clinton was running against Barack Obama, and I. Uh, she started to lose, and I kind of got upset about it because I don't think there's been a female candidate that has the credentials that she has in the past, and I worry that there won't be one like her in the future for a while, just looking at who's in what position in government right now. So I was like, this is a drag. I don't think there's going to be another uh, female president in our country <laughs> Or the first female president in our country. By the way, we are behind pretty much all the first world countries and female leaders um, for like I, I said, two hundred to three hundred years. And I, <laughs> roughly, yeah. So I made a Somewhere the way there. we're going, our trajectory. Right. So I did a stand-up bit about it where I filmed myself on stage to be put in a time capsule for our first female president 200 years from now. And, um, and Rich Blomquist, uh, saw that stand up bit and he turned it into a, um, uh, a piece. And then he showed it to, uh, John Stewart and the producers and they liked it. I went in and read it. And then like two days later, I put it on the air. 
let's hear that piece that uh, that you uh, that you wrote and created with Rich Blomquist. Kristen, you, you, you seem a little down. Are you uh, are you upset about what's happened with Geraldine Ferraro? Is it? I know you're a big supporter of the Clinton campaign. No, I'm a supporter of the female campaign, John. Unlike some people I can name, females who voted for Barack Obama, you know who you are. Sorry, John. I understand. It's just that as a self-empowered 27-ish-year-old woman, I feel emotionally invested in Senator Clinton's run for the White House. Mm-hmm. I want so badly to see a female president in my lifetime, but every time we get close, it just always seems to fall apart. And that's a tough birth control pill to swallow for a 25-year-old such as myself. Kristen, No, I'm barely old enough to vote. I, I get it, Kristen. Uh, even if Hillary doesn't get the Democratic nomination, it doesn't mean that you'll never see a, a female president. Yes, it does, John. This is America. It's taking 232 years to get a woman this close. Hillary Clinton's intelligent, articulate. If she can't win, there won't be another viable female candidate until the year 2300. 2300? Yeah. Well, that's, that's quite a ways off. That's... It's a 300-year sausage fest, John. <laughs> So, Rich Blomquist is a writer for The Daily Show, mm-hmm. also your sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that term. Well, you know, you got to figure <laughs> out which one. Partner sounds creepy. Yeah, sweetheart's nice. Um, and, and he's also your co-author on your new book, The Sexy Book of Sexy Sex. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was it like to work so intensely with someone that you are romantically involved with? Because this is a book that is you know, 200 pages, and even with illustrations, there's just a lot of jokes in here. Oh, thanks. It's a lot of material. I'm glad you could tell Yeah, that there's jokes. I mean, it's a, but I mean, it's, it's not, uh, it's, you know, when you're writing jokes, writing jokes is intense. Yeah. And there are a lot, there's a high jokes per page ratio on, in this book. And I imagine it must have been a kind of an intense thing to be to be boyfriends and girlfriends with someone <laughs> that you have to generate that much stuff with. Yeah, it is. It was difficult. I'm not going to lie. I mean, um, obviously, we share the same sensibilities and you. I, I'm only, I like to play with the people that I hang out with. So we had that back and forth to begin with. And we've written stuff for The Daily Show every piece. So. I knew we could do it, um, but I didn't realize it, that it would take so long and be so hard. And the problem, too, is that he's writing a new show for The Daily Show every week while we were working on the book, and he was working on the book Earth that's coming out, which is incredible. <laughs> I got an advanced copy. The upcoming Daily Show. Yeah, book. it's really good. So he was basically writing a TV show and two books at the same time, and I was writing one book. Um, but also your stand-up act and all yeah, these other things yeah. that you do. But um, it's hard. I mean, I think to be in a romantic relationship and also be uh, working partners, you have to learn to put your ego away. And not like, you want your boyfriend to be like, you're so smart, you're so funny. And then the minute you say a joke, and he's like, yeah, it's not good. It's like, but you love me. You know, you have to be like, right, it's not good, thank you, and like find something that is. And that's not easy. I mean, I'm not. I I was must have been hard to work with at times. Was it? Was it? How? Well, tell me about what it was like for you to because a big part of writing a lot of jokes is cutting a lot of jokes. Yeah. Was it? Was it hard for either of you guys to take that from your significant other? <laughs> um, 
Yes and no. I mean, it 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 almost became like a bargain. Like, okay, I'll lose this piece because, but you have to lose that piece, kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> And I want to say that we're not talking that much about the content of the book, mostly because it's illegal to talk about that stuff <laughs> uh, in the United States on the public airwaves, um, and not because it isn't really uh, hilarious and amazing, which it is. Um, was were there things uh, were there things that each of you definitely needed to have in this book or that both one of you suggested to the other one and it was like an instant like yes absolutely oh <laughs> um sure uh oh i i mean i think the mile high club was something that sort of was the inspiration for the book <laughs> um that's about a you know the mile high club is when you make love in an airplane bathroom right and this... you can't talk about airplanes on the radio but go ahead <laughs> Yeah, they're dangerous. Um, but in any case, in this in this short story, um, the Mile High Club is like a real club, like the firm, and uh, you can't get out of it. <laughs> but that was when we came together on, and yeah, there's a, there was a couple of pieces that yeah 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 there's a, the whole book, the whole book. We love the whole book. Well, let me ask you let me ask you a question that uh, I guess it's it's conceivable we may have to cut cut your response out for um, <laughs> for the radio, but we we can always include it on the podcast. Um, what was your what was your first experience with uh, the let's say literature, the media of sex and sexuality? Did you like were you, did you like find a copy of The Joy of Sex on somebody's bookshelf or? Oh, my first experience. Yeah. Yeah, um, my first experience was Harlequin romance novels, definitely. I went to the public library, and I would just get, like, a stack. I would just pull a stack <laughs> off the shelf. There'd be a big, empty space. And for the, for, for the <laughs> listener, you're indicating something that's roughly one and a half loaves of bread in width. Yes, yes. And I would take them back to, like, a cubby hole in the back of the library. <laughs> And um, and I would just like skim through to find the the sex parts. Uh, and that's how I I just loved them. I thought they were amazing. <laughs> like you know the the words they use to describe genitals are are so poetic. <laughs> you know, like the you can say this the her like pulsating triangle mound, <laughs> right? And it's just like you know, and and so and this and it's, for some reason, they were always around page sixty as the first <laughs> encounter, and then there's a there's a blow up, and then they come back together at a hundred and eighty. There's a real rhythm. To these <laughs> there things, is. Well, there's so a formula. I mean, it's a factory, isn't it? So, um, you know, and it, and so it depends. But usually, the, you know, it'll be a fairly good sex scene at sixty because it's the first time. So they're like, whoa! Like they're both like pretty impressed with each other's equipment and then um you know and then it's like new and exciting and then when they come back together again it's it's you know it's there's a familiar familiar familiarity or uh to it and then they're just like they might get a little kinkier on the second one <laughs> second try <laughs> like they might do it on a boat. <laughs> they only do it, honestly. Like if I could think about it, no, there wasn't any other sexual act but intercourse. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, Kristen, thank you so much for being on The Sound of Young America. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, I love The Sound of Young America. It sounds hopeful. <laughs> huh, guys? <laughs> uh, K- Kristen Shaw is a comedian and actress and writer. Um, she is with Rich Blumquist, the author of the sexy book of Sexy Sex. She'll also be uh, voicing a character on the upcoming Fox series, Bob's Burgers, which uh, is slated to premiere in uh, January of 2011. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music and all of our music provided to us by Dan Wally. Our associate producer is Julia Smith. Nick White edits the show. If you have thoughts about the show, email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. And by all means, visit us online at MaximumFun.org. Talk about the shows in our forum. Uh, check out our podcasts. Uh, take a look at our archives. There's all kinds of fun stuff there. I suppose that's just about it. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Smith Micro Software, makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go, for Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered, online at ask.metafilter.com. 